Welcome to Hope City Online. It's so good to see you today, and we hope you're going to be blessed by the message today. If you do enjoy our sermons, then why don't you press the subscribe button and the notification bell so you don't miss out on any one of our sermons. We upload them every single week. And if you want to give to us today, there is a link to donate in the description. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, church. It's really great to have you with us this morning. I'm here with my dad, Pastor Andrew, and today we are going to be looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000, which is a well-known passage in John 6. So, sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. So just here, Amy, it's really interesting to note that whenever Jesus talks about going up to a mountain, that we always know that he's going to unveil some deep revelation. So it sets us up for this story that he's about to reveal kingdom revelation that's going to teach us how to live. Mm. So the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already in his mind knew what he was going to do. So in Matthew 14, 21, it gives us a bit of a different perspective and it says, and those who ate were about 5,000 men, not including women or children. And in the expanded translation, it says not counting women and children. So here we notice, Amy, that the boys not included in the count. Uh, many people feel like this boy, that their lives don't count, Amy. And uh, this is one of the things that Jesus was addressing, this, this whole attitude, this mindset of feeling insignificant and that our lives don't count. But the great news was the one that didn't count to man counted to Jesus. So Jesus picks the ones that don't count. You know, we've been talking too over the last few weeks, Amy, about all the ites, the Jebusites, mm. the Amorites, you know, I was with Keith and all the different nations. And uh, the Jebusites are a really interesting nation because their name means to stomp or to tread down. And they're a picture of the enemy who loves to tread down people to make them feel inferior, like their lives don't count. And so Jesus picks this very boy who feels like his life doesn't count. The Jebusite spirit is a strong spirit. And when the Israelites went into the promised land, the Benjaminites were uh, given the task to drive out the Jebusites and they found it really difficult. The Jebusites ended up by taking over Jerusalem and setting up at Mount Zion. So it's a picture of this stronghold, this stronghold that makes us feel inferior, coming and setting up right in the camp of the church in Jerusalem. And uh, I believe that one of the greatest battles that we face in the church is this spirit of feeling like we don't count, we're inferior, that our lives don't seem to match up as to how they should. Mm. And uh, one of the things about the seven nations, Amy, is as you look at the list of, the, of the, uh, all the different ites, the Jebusites are listed last. So that tells us that the hardest enemy to get rid of is this spirit of inferiority and fear. And so uh, I think there's something there for us to see today that, that Joshua couldn't drive out this, this uh this spirit of inferiority. And this is really important in this story because this boy hasn't, hasn't been included in the count. He's not named as part of the 5,000, but Jesus picks the ones that don't count. Mm. And uh, as we look at the Jebusites, it was King David 
that was able to drive out the Jebusites. He came in through the water well into Jerusalem and overtook the uh, Jebusites. And that tells us that the water is a picture of the word. We see that right through scripture. And the way to defeat this spirit of inferiority, this feeling that we don't count, is through the power of the word. You know, I've often said that the way we deal with the devil, there's two different ways. There's a power encounter and there's a truth encounter. I've said that to you, Amy, before. Mm. And there's some things that we can cast out over, you know, we pray and we, we bind the devil, but there are other things that only come out through the truth, through God's word. And David showed us this, that the way to deal with this spirit where we feel like we don't count is by getting into the word and letting that wash through us and transform the way we think. So I love this story because the boy's not included in the count, but it's the very one that Jesus picks out of and says, I want to use you. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And in your book too, you wrote about um, Bartimaeus. I and did. He was another man that suffered with his identity. He did. Um, and his story is in Mark 10, chapter 46. Um, so when they came to Jericho, uh, Jesus and the disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city and a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And in the Aramaic, uh, son of Timaeus or Timaeus means son of defilement or son of the unclean That's one. That's right. But in Greek, his name means son of honour. Yeah. So we can see here that he's trapped between the two worlds, one with his earthly father and the other with his heavenly father. Yeah, he's trapped. He doesn't know what to believe about himself. The other interesting thing uh, about identity is when we think of the, the name Hal or Hades, uh, it literally means to not see. And so the devil loves to trap people in a, a world of darkness where they can't see who they truly are. And, um, and I'm convinced that, that God wants to set us free so we truly see our identity. And I know that the Lord's been speaking to you about identity and that you've got a word to share today as well, Amy, about that. Mm. So when I was praying before, I just got a picture of a treasure chest in the sky and it was opened in half and there was all this gold spilling out down to the people below. And I felt that God was saying that we need to reshift our focus from being inward and receiving our identity inwards and focusing on that inferiority and that sense of shame. Yeah. And we need to receive our identity from heaven through the Word of God. So that's the whole power and truth encounter that we were great, speaking Amy. about before. And that just because you don't feel like that you don't count doesn't mean that that's the truth. And I felt that there are people watching this today that have disqualified themselves because of their age or their past or maybe even fear of the future. Yeah. But God's actually saying that you're chosen and accepted. Amen. Amen. That's awesome, Amy. Yes. Fantastic. So if we continue on with uh, John chapter 6, verse 5, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Yeah. He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Isn't that a great phrase, Amy? Jesus already had in his mind what he was going to do. And uh, I, I thought about that, that Jesus' mindset for us when we go through challenges and problems, his mindset for the nations is one filled with hope. And I was just reading the other day from the Passion Translation, Isaiah 42.4. Listen to this, Amy. Yeah. It says, speaking of Jesus, his inner being will not become faint or discouraged. Think about it. Jesus, his inner being, his makeup, his mindset. It says he'll never become faint. He never gets worn out, you know, another problem. You know, this, this COVID-19's come and 
I just can't cope. I need a holiday. Jesus never becomes faint. He never gets discouraged. He never looks at us or our problems. He, never, he didn't look at this challenge with the 5,000 loaves and think, oh my goodness. You know, he didn't get a Messiah complex and think it's just all too hard. He, he doesn't get discouraged and it says, and his light will not grow dim. So Jesus is the eternal optimist. You know, when he looked at this challenge, the 5,000 men with needing to be fed and all the women and the children, he was just gleaming with hope. Here is an opportunity for my father to show how great he is again. And it says, his light will not grow dim before he establishes justice on the earth. Even the distant lands beyond the seas will hunger for his instruction. So when Jesus looks at all the problems in the nations right now, he is filled with such hope and he can see the days right near when all the nations are going to come to him for instruction and for hope. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And if we go back to verse 7 in John, um, it says, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Yeah, it's a great story. I've got my name in there, which is really exciting. But you notice, Amy, in this story that Jesus asks a question of Philip. He says, Philip, where can we buy bread? Mm. The question is one about location, not about cost. He didn't say, Philip, how much is it going to cost? He said to Philip, Philip, where can we buy bread? You know, and, and I think what, what underlying, the thought underlying this is, if we find the right source, the resources will flow. You find the source and you get the resource. So Philip was just so worried about cost and how are we going to afford it? But Jesus was asking the question, where's the source, Philip? If you can find the source, the resource will flow. Mm. And it's interesting too, because Andrew found the location being the boy, but he couldn't see past its insignificance. Yeah. And often the answer to our problems doesn't come wrapped up in a bow or gold plated or with flashing neon lights. That's right. It's the insignificant thing or what appears to be insignificant. Yeah. So he looked at the boy and he thought, how could God use him? Mm. And often we miss what God wants to do because the, the source, the, the, the solution to the problem just doesn't look like it's the solution. God brings people in it by us and we just can't see that that's who God wants us to pick. Mm. You know, uh, the third thing about this, this little passage that you read out here, Amy, is that the solution is always close by. It's, it's literally under our nose. And, and as I read this scripture, um, I began to think that God always places things close by for our recognition. He's not trying to make it really hard. And, uh, and our, our job is to recognize what God's placed right before us. And this is the thing I've learned about recognizing solutions that God, uh, as we look at this story, that God places people right next to us and we need to recognize that. And if we don't recognize it, we won't celebrate it. And whatever we don't celebrate ends up by leaving our life. And so the disciples found this little boy, Andrew uh, found the boy, but he didn't celebrate the solution. And if he had kept going, that little boy would have exited and they wouldn't have had a solution. But Jesus celebrated the boy and because he celebrated the boy, the boy remained. So what, what the lessons we learn is that whenever God brings a solution, we need to recognize it and then we need to honor it, Amy, and we need to celebrate it. And if, if we do that, it will remain in our life. Mm. 
And this reminds me of a story, and I know you'll like it because it's about gold. Oh, I will. And I, I like will. it because it's a true story. It's historical. Um, so there was a young couple um, around the late 1800s, around the time of the Californian and Victorian gold rushes, and they were obsessed with finding gold like most people in that era were. So they decided to sell a farm that they had in America and go and find some gold. Yeah. But there was failure after failure, and they ended up bankrupt and in Europe. So after a couple of years, they decided to go back to America to where their farm was. Um, but when they arrived, they weren't even allowed to go anywhere near the farm. It was surrounded with security guards and oh, surveillance equipment. Um, but it turned out that underneath their farmhouse was the second largest gold reserve in America, but they just didn't see it. Yikes. That would be painful, wouldn't it? To go all around the world looking for gold and it's right underneath your farmhouse. Devastating. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't like that. I don't think my wife would be very happy if I did that. <laughs> that would be in big trouble. Yes. And look, I think what we're trying to say today is that miracles always begin with what you have. You can't multiply or God can't multiply in your life what you don't recognise. Mm. And so we learn that from this story is that right near you is a miracle about to be multiplied if you have eyes to see it. Mm, that's a really good point. So let's continue on with the story, but we're going to read from Mark because it gives us a different perspective of the story. So Mark chapter 6, 39. When Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. So we can see here that they gave the loaves to Jesus. Then Jesus gave thanks and broke the bread. And then he gave it back to the disciples to give to the crowd. Yeah. That's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. They, they gave the loaves to Jesus. Jesus gave thanks and he broke it. He gives it to the disciples, as you said. And I thought a lot about this, Amy, even when I was a little boy. It's a long time ago. So <laughs> it's hard for you to imagine. Yes. But what I learned is if, if I'm thankful for what is not enough in my life, then what I have will be multiplied. It's a real key to life. A lot of people aren't thankful. You know, they go through a rough time. They can't see much good in it. And so they gripe and complain. And if you're not thankful for the little that you have, even though that it's not enough or it doesn't seem enough, then God can't multiply what you have to make it more than enough. You know, we might not have the job that we like. We might not have the boyfriend that we want. We might not have, um, you know, the car that we want, the dad that we want, you know, all those sorts of things. But what, what we see in this story is Jesus says, lift up what you have and give thanks for it. And, um, you know, I, I remember back to when I was a little boy, a young boy. And, uh, you know, I've told you this story about when my dad left. It was a really mm -hmm. challenging time in my life. And I know it's the grace of God at work, but... I made this conscious decision as a young boy to give thanks for my father. Um, I had a choice whether I'd be really angry. I could be angry at the church. I could be angry at my dad for leaving, you know, five young kids with, uh, uh, with my mum. I think mum had a couple of thousand dollars to her name, nowhere to live, really. And it was a really tough time. And, and so I had to make a decision. Was I going to get really angry at my father and become a raging young adult? Or was mm -hmm. I going to give thanks? And so I thought about what could I give thanks for, for my father? And I thought, well, he gave me life. 
He brought me into this world. He gave me a love for God's word. He gave me a love for, for God and the church. And so, so I thought to myself, I'm going to give thanks for my father. I thank you, God, that you gave me such a wonderful father. And here's the truth that as I gave thanks, God multiplied a dad with inside me. He multiplied the nature of a father and that nature of a father in me was multiplied and it fed lots of other people. And even today, because I was thankful as a young boy, that nature of a father has been multiplied in my life. And I can see many young people being fed off the decision that I made to give thanks. So it's such a powerful uh, reality that as we give thanks for that, which seems so insignificant, God multiplies it and makes it more than enough. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? That's a good point. And you're a good dad. Oh, so thank you, darling. I went out of this. You do, you do. <laughs> so another thing that we can learn from Mark is when Jesus gave thanks and broke the bread, uh, what we can see from here is that what refuses to be broken refuses to be blessed. Yeah, that is a profound point you bring out there. Mm. It's, it's the breaking of life that produces blessing and multiplication. Um, one of my favourite authors, I don't know if you've seen some of my books in my bookcase, Amy, mm. but I've got an author called A.W. Tozer, and uh, he was a famous prophetic author. And um, he, uh, he said this phrase that he said, don't ever trust a man who, who doesn't walk without a limp. And he was using that phrase about Jacob who spent a night wrestling with God. And uh, at the end, he came away with this limp. God uh, dislocated his socket. Mm. And, uh, and then he was uh, always walking after that with his terrible limp. And so Tozer was saying there are um, some people that don't walk with a limp and you need to look for that. Anyone that's never gone through the breaking process, well, they're not going to really have a blessing mindset. And so we all go through that stage of being broken. So Jesus breaks the loaves and it's that breaking that brings the blessing. You know, Moses went through 40 years in the wilderness and nobody, nobody, Goes, uh, is blessed. Nobody, Amy, is, has multiplication in their life if they don't go through that breaking process. Mm, that's really good. And I've been praying about this and thinking about what you've been saying and God was just telling me, prophetic word for everybody listening today, is to not hold back from what seems to look like a breaking or what is a breaking in your life. You know, as my dad was saying, it's in this you're made and that you're refined. And for the people that are watching this today and deciding to play it safe because you feel like, oh, I might get hurt, I might get rejected, God's telling you that He's in you and He is with you in the moments of these breakings, like how He was with Jacob. And that as you surrender, you will begin to see great acceleration. And particularly, I got this word for somebody watching today that, um, finances has been an area that you've held back in and I just got for 10 years. Um, and God's saying that he's with you when you let go. And then when you let go and go through this, you'll find him, you'll receive him and you'll be able to be a blessing for others. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So if we go to verse 41 of the story, um, it just says, then he gave them to the then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Yeah. I think a lot of people gloss over this comment and it's, yeah. there's got a lot of insight in this. I, I like to picture in my mind how it really uh, worked out. You know, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the one that breaks the bread and gives thanks. And they're all there because of Jesus. 
And then he's got his 12 men that have to take the bread and the fish and give it to all the people. And, uh, and I can imagine Andrew going up to his first crowd of 100 people and he's got his loaves and his fish that's been broken. He's about to give it to the first person. And uh, he gets this rather rude comment back, you know, I'm not taking any fish and loaves from you, Andrew. I, I only receive from Jesus. Mm. And, uh, and uh, I've been wounded by your type before. You know, I, I don't trust you. And, you know, I'm in a home church now and I, I just, I don't take, I only get ministry from Jesus. I know. I go into this mode when I talk like this. <laughs> but it, it's this mindset that people think, you know, I can only receive from Jesus. I can't receive from man, from anyone. You know, I've been wounded before. And so Jesus is the only one that can feed me. You know, and it reminds me of a story, my story as a young, young boy again, that um, I remember when my father left. And, you know, back then, and, and it's not a slide on the church, but the church didn't know really how to handle a scandal like that and, and by and large, because my father was so well known and they, you know, they, they felt a bit embarrassed, you know, about our family. But my mother, uh, she, she valued community. She valued the church. She knew that we couldn't isolate ourselves. So I think it was the following week, you know, she dresses the five kids and we're all at church again. And, uh, you know, it was a profound lesson for me as I was watching my mum how much you valued being part of a church community. And th sometimes it's, it's somebody, not God, that's going to feed you. And mm. I was thinking about Lazarus, that he's another example of this, that he's raised from the dead by Jesus. So there's some things that only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead. So there's a picture of Lazarus. He's raised from the dead. He's, he comes out of the tomb. He's wrapped in his grave clothes and he's stinking. And, uh, but he needs to be unwound. And and here's the thing, Amy, he could have said to the, the disciples, don't touch me, only Jesus gets to unwind me. He raised me from the dead and I'm only going to be unwound by the Messiah. But no, Jesus said, I, I, yes, I've raised you from the dead, but now the disciples are going to unwind you. It's not going to be me. And uh, so again, it's, it's this concept that, that a lot of the ministry that we receive is going to be from people, not just directly from Jesus. Mm. And... Uh, and I think Jesus does it that way for a particular reason. Yeah. So sometimes God talks to people about you, but yeah. it's not always directly to you. That's right. And a good example of this is David. So we all know that he was a prophet. He was a man after God's own heart and he heard God speak to him so clearly. He did. But when he was seeking direction about building the temple, he didn't get any real understanding from God about it. No. But... Nathan the prophet received the word of the Lord about the temple and he was the one to give it to David. Yeah. So God's not going to strengthen our bias towards isolation and independence. And, and it's a great point you bring out, Amy, about David. You know, he, he writes all the Psalms. He's, he's a champion. He hears mm. from God. And yet he doesn't get the revelation on the temple. And I think, as you said, that God's saying to us today, there's some things that I'm not going to talk directly to you about you. I'm going to talk to someone else about you to them and they're going to tell you. And we, we know in this story, Amy, that they would have starved to death if they didn't receive from the disciples because Jesus was not going to feed them directly. Yes, he mm. prayed, he blessed the bread, he gave thanks, but it was the disciples that fed the multitude. And, and there's a lot of people that are malnourished in the kingdom because they don't want to receive from other people. You know, I don't need a pastor and I don't need... 
I don't need to be in a life group or Hope Hub. I don't need, I don't need anything. It's just me and Jesus. And, and you're, if that's the case and you hear my voice today, I want to say in all kindness, you're delusional because Jesus often speaks to other people about you. And the reason he does that, Amy, is he, he values family and he knows that, that we are predisposed to isolate ourselves and we know in the, uh, in, in, with Israel that the enemy always attacked those that were struggling at the back, those who were isolated. Mm. There's safety in community. And so often God will speak to us through someone else to keep us connected. Yeah. So let's go back to Mark chapter 6, 39. So it says, Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So this here shows us that miracles in our lives can't be rushed. That's right. So they were all hungry and they were tired, but they still had to get in order to sit in their groups of fifties and hundreds before they could receive the miracle. Yeah, no doubt they're preparing, Amy, for the weight of glory that's about to be dispensed. Mm. And I think this is a really interesting point because we can become so focused on the solution. I want a new car, I want a husband, a wife, all the, all the things that we want. And we can get so caught up in praying and looking for that solution. But isn't it interesting, Amy, that Jesus makes them sit in ranks of 50 and 100. They're starving, they're hungry. They're just like, I want to eat now. You know, it's a bit like a scene out of, you know, when, when I first, we had our young kids and they're all chomping at the <laughs> table. I want my dinner now, Dad. And, uh, but Jesus is saying, no, stop getting rank, getting order, get ready, get structure and get ready because I'm about to pour out my glory. I'm about to, about to multiply in your life. That's a lesson for us, Amy. And I know as I, in my um, childhood growing up into a teenager, into adulthood, I knew that God had called me to do great things. I was in a hurry going nowhere. I just wanted, I said, Lord, if you want to use me, use me now. Don't wait. I don't want to wait till I'm 50 or, you know, how <laughs> ironic was that? It's like, I want to be used now. It's like I was, I had my, at the dinner table and I was banging on the table. God, use <laughs> me now. But, you know, he's not in a hurry. He wants to get order and structure. So when the flow does come, we don't explode. I remember God saying to me uh, when I was praying one night, Andrew, I love you too much to use you. And I said, oh, thanks, Lord. But I think what he was saying was, I want to prepare you, bring order to your life. So when the flow comes, when the, mul when the multitudes come, you'll be ready. Mm. That's a really good point. So we're now going to finish um, back at John 6, 12, uh, which says, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Well, you know, Amy, I have a famous quote that I've used before, and I say, <laughs> the name of God is El Shaddai, not El Cheapo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, whenever Jesus works, there's always an abundance of leftovers. And we read this story, and there's this little boy who comes with his loaves and fishes. And, you know, some people think that the baskets went to the disciples, 12 baskets left over for 12 disciples. But I think each disciple had a basket left over to give back to the boy, to mm. see the principle of if you recognise where God is at work, if you find the location, you give thanks, you allow God to break it, then you're the recipient of an amazing overflow. And, and you know, 
This young boy goes home with 12 basket loaves of loaves and fishes. You know, he had enough to set himself up, buy some shares, um, maybe buy a house, send his mum on a cruise, but maybe if there's no virus. Mm. You know, he had everything at his disposal because he believed, mm. because he positioned himself. And, you know, the heart of God, and I, I tell you, I tell all our children, I tell our church, that God wants to exceed your wildest expectations. He wants, you know, the Bible says he causes our cup to overflow. And it's not a half filled. It's not like, you know, the tide's out. He flows over. That's the nature of our God. So our, our breaking, our times when we go through transition, it's always God has on his heart our breakthrough. And the other thing as we close today to notice that our personal breakthrough, like the boys' breakthrough, Amy, is, is, is for a, there's a bigger picture at play that my personal breakthrough is for a corporate breakthrough. His blessing becomes the crowd's blessing, becomes the disciples' blessing. And, uh, and that's what we really wanted to say to everyone listening to uh, this message today is that, that when Jesus went up on the mountain, he could see that there was uh, a message that he wanted to relay to the church in 2020 that if we position ourselves and look for where Jesus is at work, if we find the location and we flow with that and if we honour that, if we look for where God is at work, then that he will do amazing things. If we're thankful for, for the small things that God does, if we allow him to bring order to our life, uh, all the things that we've mentioned today, God will bring an abundance of overflow. And, you know, this is, church, the year of acceleration. It looks like it's been de-acceleration. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that we are in the midst of the greatest acceleration in the kingdom from five loaves and two fish to 12 baskets overflowing. Who would have thought that could happen with this young boy? But that's the kingdom. And that's what Jesus was relaying to the disciples on the mountain. So Amy and I, we would love to pray for you today, uh, right now. And, and as we do that, why don't you lift up your hands where you sit today and uh, Amy, why don't you reach out your hand and I'm going to reach out my hand now. And we're just going to release faith today for you to be part of this same experience that this young boy had, multiplication and increase. So Father, we pray for everyone listening to the live stream today. May your glory be poured out upon them. Bless them, multiply them. For those that have had trouble giving thanks, Lord, cause them today to give thanks for even the small things. And as they do that, may there be much multiplication. I particularly pray for those that have been looking for an answer and you've brought a solution to them. It may be in the form of a package that they don't recognise. It may be in the form of a leader that they haven't listened to yet, but you've got an answer today for every problem that they face. So we bless them now in Jesus' name and we release multiplication into their life in Jesus' name. Well, we pray today that, uh, Amy and I pray that, that you've just been so blessed, that you've got a little bit of insight into what God has done in our lives. And we pray blessing upon you today. God bless you and have an amazing day. Thank you for watching Hope City Online. We really hope you were blessed by the message today. And if God's spoken to you, why don't you leave us a comment? We would love to hear from you. If you do enjoy our messages, you can press the subscribe button and the notification bell so you don't miss any one of our sermons.
And if you want to give to us today, the link is in the description. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.